everybody. It is John, half of the podcasting duo formerly known as RFK Refugees. We are still on vacation. We're taking a well-earned, to us anyway, break from doing a weekly podcast. So what I'm going to do every week is drop an old episode into the feed and hope that it's something that you're interested in. I thought, what better place to start than the first episode of this podcast? And folks, I got to tell you, uh, it's not as good as it is now. (laughs) So if you were listening back then and you stayed, wow, thank you for giving us a long runway to get better. February 21st, 2018, which feels like an entire universe ago. Talk about our hopes for the season, and you'll notice the optimism never really changes, no matter what happens or who's here. So I hope you enjoy that. Things that have happened since our last episode, Taxi Funtas found um, not guilty, I guess. Not innocent, not guilty, but uh, no, no further actions by the league. And uh, also, DC United got fined for not following the diversity hiring practices that the league set up and was fined a very minuscule amount of money. Because we're not doing a show, we're not going to get into that. So, (laughs) sorry. Sorry if you were wondering what we thought about that. So enjoy this episode, or don't, or listen to it for like five minutes and skip around and say, boy, this is a lot worse than I remember it being. That's fine. Totally understand. I'll be back next week with probably an interview, something that's a little bit little bit better maybe <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anyway hope you enjoy or hope you laugh vamos Welcome, everybody. Welcome to uh, a podcast. And, and you might be asking, and as you might be asking yourselves, why? What's going to make this podcast different? Well, I'll tell you, this, this podcast is going to be very different. That's a great question. We're going to answer that question. No, no, we're just about two, a couple of dudes talking soccer. That, that's what this podcast is. Pretty much yep. what it is. Uh, we are the RFK Refugees Podcast. Uh, because we all miss RFK, and uh, I'm. If you don't know who I am, my name is uh, Ted or Ted the Ted Meyer or however you want to refer to me is perfectly fine. Um, I've hosted. I did around the league for a little bit, um, and I decided that I missed. Uh, I missed people hearing my opinions. I guess so. Uh, narcissist. <laughs> that's narcissism for you right there. Uh, and joining me is John Hoffman. John, do you want to go ahead and give your credentials? I do. I'm sure all of you remember the offside, the website that everyone had to read uh, at in, probably in the mid 2000s, uh, late mid 2000s, uh, where I posted every day uh, about you know lineups and basically whatever Steve Goff tweeted previously. I would then sort of rephrase in the early nascent days of blogging. Uh, I will. I will, however, claim to fame. I had Bill Hamid sign the team. And Ben Olsen retiring prior to anyone else. I will not say how. I will not reveal my sources. Uh, but that is the situation. And then following the offside, I very briefly did DC, DC United offs, Outsider.com, which I think no one read. Uh, that was a that was a situation where I paid for a domain and hosting, and then no one read it, so I stopped. So we uh, Ted and I uh, we tweet about soccer. We uh, we talk about soccer, and we figured you know there's at least room for two DC United podcasts on the landscape. And uh, we can be number two. Yeah. Hi, hi, Adam. Hi, Ben. They're probably not listening to this. They're too big time for this. They got their own Patreon page, probably, right? That's step two for us. Step- <laughs> episode one, and then Patreon page. <laughs> Patreon page, exactly. Y'all give us money for this, so we can, um, so I can get new recording equipment because I need to dust it off. Uh, should we just jump right into it? What, what do we, what do we want to start with today, John? Well, I think uh, we should probably start with, with the season approaching pretty soon, we should probably uh, talk about why this team is going to be better than last year's horrible team, or are they? What's the sort of what, what changes to the team occurred this offseason that makes us feel confident, makes us feel melancholy, makes us feel samey? I don't know. I think uh, we should probably walk through those additions and then uh, see where we are. Okay. So um, let's, uh, let's start. Let's start with, uh, do we want to go... Do we want to go small or do we want to start big? 
Let's, uh, let's build suspense. Let's start small. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess small uh, additions would be the allocation money we got in the draft, right? Very, so that's that's the very small. <laughs> the pile of money, the pile of uh, magic money that's sitting somewhere in an office at RFK right now. Yeah, pretty much. It's sitting in a, or on an Excel spreadsheet. Who, who knows the who knows the difference? But um, uh, but as far as actual player acquisitions go, um, the talk. I guess the first two. I guess should be re- we should probably review is there two many smallish uh, foreign signings, um, and that would be uh, Ulysses Segura and uh, Junior Moreno. Um, I think it's important to note. Uh, if you have opinion on these players, you are either a uh, a smaller league aficionado with a very large cable package, or you have watched some YouTube videos and uh, have strong opinions based on those YouTube videos. Or, or your name is John Arnold. That that's that's what I'm <laughs> going to say is probably would probably have the most information about these guys. Um, Junior Moreno apparently is in number six. DC of course already has Russell Canals and Chris Durkin. Um, and uh, Elusia Segura, I think they're saying he can play center, maybe out on the wing. So he's unsure. What's interesting about these pickups, I think, is number one, we don't know anything about him. Um, number two, the only thing I'll say about him is what gives me hope is that this is DC United paying a transfer fee for these players. This isn't uh, this isn't an Ortiz loan with an option to buy. This is DC saying we think these guys are good, we think these guys can contribute, and we're willing to put money out there to get them. So. In that sense, that's a positive. I think that's. I think you can't deny that. This is not a Christian Castillo. There's too many players from Central and South America in the last five years uh, that just sort of, you know, blew in like a tumbleweed and, and blew out, making absolutely no effect and no positive impact. And I think that these two players, uh, probably, I would say maybe Segura more than Moreno, based based solely on 180 minutes of uh, of, of blurry YouTube streaming preseason games. I'm uh, uh, I'm excited about seeing Segura. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I think these are going to be good depth signings. I now again, we'll talk a little bit why maybe we had the Segura Moreno signings. There's another signing which we'll get into later. That will that'll be our our end. You probably can guess who it is. Uh, but you know, it, again, I I've seen very little of these players. They both look, you know, I'm sure they're both on one's on the Venezuelan national team, the other's on the Costa Rican national team. So these guys aren't slouches, and that's good. And I think they're not. DC didn't make. Big signings, other than I guess one, which we'll get to. But I mean, they, it's it's <laughs> keep a, teasing it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, so let's uh, let's go on for that. Let's talk about guys that we actually have experience watching. Um, in a sense, let's start with um, the two se- the earlier season, the ones in, they made sort of through through MLS. Uh, those being uh, Frederick Brilliant and um, Darren Maddox. Uh, my impression, I guess, is these are just again solid signings. No, no real flash in the pan. Just solid players that might be able to to make a difference. I think for this team, uh, the fact that they're slotting in uh, Briant looks like he's slotting in as starting center back. Maddox looks like, based again only on uh, early season, early preseason performance, looks like he's going to give uh, a run for the money for the starting position to Patrick Mullins. I think on a good team, I think on a very good team, these two players would be uh, very good depth. I think they would be your free out would be a really good center back off the bench. Maddox would be a great change of pace guy. He would be a, on a team with less wingers than we have would be probably a power, an option there too. Uh, but on this team, I think they're going to play. They're going to play a lot. Uh, and I think that for the sort of the aspirations that DC United have, they're the sort of players you got to bring in. So, the interesting thing I think I found uh, as I've thought about the brilliant signing, and this is something that Ben Olson has talked about. Um, he, he made a comment um, to the media. I'm trying to remember it was a few weeks ago uh, where he talked about the, with this signing with, um, with brilliant being one of them. And David Oates said, who we'll talk about in a little bit, a little bit later um, that brilliant and Oates that have brought a sort of a, a leadership presence to the team. Um, and I think in, in that center defense, what I think this move was about was taking the responsibility of organizing the defense off of Steve Birnbaum and allowing Steve Birnbaum to be what he was in 2005 and 2016, which is just a center back who just has the physical attributes. If a ball comes in his area, he's going to clear it out. If he has to make a tackle, he'll make a tackle. But to sort of take away the leadership um, roles with him and try to make brilliant basically – 
Bobby Boswell 2.0. I think that's I think that's smart. I think also uh, Olsen probably has grown to expect that there will be a time where Burnbaum will not be playing due to injury, just based on yeah. the, the past couple of years. Concussions really kind of haunting his career at this point. And in the absence of a Bill Hamid or a Steve Burnbaum, your defense is looking mighty young and mighty quiet. Uh, yeah. So I think that I think that backing that up and providing some sort of leadership that you know can be on the field if he's missing that seems like a smart move. Absolutely, and um, so so I want to ask you something. So, without crowded DC's midfield is, do you think that we will see maybe a guy like Chris Durkin break through this breakthrough in center defense? Again, so I'm going to go based. I'm going to keep on. W- Overweighting this preseason stuff because that's what we have, and uh, that's that's the sort of <laughs> that's the sort of that's all I'm playing. That's my that's my analysis today. Durkin looked great in center in in his in the in the number six role uh, in the in the game earlier this week against Philadelphia. Really looked confident. Did not lose the ball. Made it made forward passes. Did not was not Clyde Sims passing the ball sideways and backwards all game long. Looked aggressive. Looked much older than his age. Do I think that uh, I, you know he's had experience in the U20s as the U20s or the U17s? U17s. The U20s are, U17s yeah. at center back. Uh, I think that I think that his I think that his skill set though uh, in a in a in a league where size is at a premium and he's still a young guy growing, I think that he's less likely to be a really uh, an X factor at center back than he is maybe at the, at the number six spot. I don't know. I just part of me wants him, I guess, to be a center back because I look at that position and that I think that's a position he can break through, and I want him to break through. But I really love Russell Knaus. Like he he's brought such an amazing aspect to DC's game. He was so fun to watch last year that maybe maybe it's me trying to uh, I guess figure out a way to get him field because I've watched Chris Durkin in Richmond. He's such a good player. Uh, he played a game against Swansea, and he was literally bossing the field. And friends and I, who, who aren't really into it, were like talking about how great this guy is. And I said, "Oh yeah, that guy's 17 years old." And even they were just—they couldn't believe it. They were like, "He's 17? That's it? Like, who is this guy playing against Premier League players?" Uh, and so maybe that's me trying to to fit him in. Um, it'll. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's a weird problem for DC United fans to have uh, in that we're actually our, we're looking at our depth as actual talent, not just like, oh, God, what guy's going to come in if someone gets hurt? So yeah. It's a different sensation, and I think it's good. It's a good problem to have, but I think you're absolutely right that Durkin needs to find a way to get on the field. If it's at, if it's at Richmond all the time in his preferred position, all right. Uh, I, I, I just think that with the amount of uh, road games coming to start the season, I think there's a way to get all these players the action that they need to get. No, let me let me tell you this. There, Jared Jeffries is going to be in Richmond. I can guarantee you that. Because remember, he's on this roster too. I have to have a moment to check myself uh, with all this with all this depth. I forget about him, but uh, he. But we'll see what happens with Durkin. Um, so let's move on uh, to uh, we didn't well, actually we didn't really talk about Darren Maddox. Now did we? Um, we did. Yeah, he he. I have to say, I'm actually I, I'm starting. I remember when when they first said, "Oh, we're going with uh, with Maddox and we're going with um, with Mullins." I'm like. Okay, I, mean, I guess we got a good midfield, but after seeing these net last few games, I'm I may be starting to buy a little bit into Maddox. I, I'm thinking I'm thinking Maddox is the starter right now over Mullins. If you want to know my honest opinion, two goals in in two games, he's the starter right now for me. Yeah, I think there's no way to to to, say, to see otherwise based on you know like we just said the two games and sort of the season that Mullins had last year. Granted, a lot of it was down to injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had almost all of his goals in one game. So his stats are just wonky, and they shouldn't really be considered for anything other than the number of minutes he played last year. Uh, Darren Maddox, to me, was a, a, a Dershon Brown replacement. And, that, and the fact that I didn't see him as anything other than uh, a speedy guy that can maybe... They, all they ever talk about with Maddox and Brown was like, he can run in behind defenders. He can run in behind defenders. They're gonna the, our, our winger is going to put the ball past the center back. He's going to run on behind it and score his goals. He's going to... He's, <sighs> It's not. It's nothing you want to build your team around. I think that based on based on you know quotes from the team, based on the way the team is set up, with the money that's left over, how they're keeping their roster spots open, it still reads to me very much like this team imagines a, a, a scenario in the summer where they have managed to get through this horrible stretch of of away games to start the season. They've made do with the offense that they've had with the, with the service that they're able to provide, and they've been able to you know just sort of keep their head above water. They've got money. They've got roster space to put to put a real difference maker up front. And I think that if Maddox and Mullins are not blowing the league away, which I think the, the house the, the smart house money should be on them not doing that, 
uh, I think that's where you're going to see DC United make a make a change. And I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you. I think once the I, I think what what ultimately happened, I think they were all in, all indications from Stephen Golf say they were looking at getting a um, a uh, a forward op. They were looking at getting a forward option. But when they looked at what they what was out there, what they had, they said we think what we have is um, what we have is better than what um, that what what they have right now was better than what they could find out there, and that makes sense actually to me because the, the January window is a very very there's there's slim pickings in in the January window. You're much more likely um, to see a lot more in the summer window. So um, I I want I want to guess if if Mavs can be somewhere between five and ten goals this year. Then and maybe Mullins chips in, you know, between a little bit, maybe maybe five or four or five goals. I think that's that's that can be considered a success. And then maybe we can bring in that big striker. Did Maddox have two goals last year? Was that his was that his season total? Yeah, it was something like two or three. I can't remember. He came. I know he came on late in the season, but he, I mean, to be fair, he was in Portland where you have Sebastian Blanco and Audi. So. I, I, I'm sorry. I, he had four. He had four, four last yeah. year. You're right. He played, he played. He played in 24 games. He started 11, scored four. Previous year started 12, scored one. Uh, so, I mean, he would have a career year. His rookie year, he blew it up, scored seven goals in 1300 minutes. A, a, a Nick DeLeon like rookie explosion <laughs> with offense never to be seen again in, in numbers uh, similar. But I, I think that he's. They said it. They're basically building a striker from different players. They're they're finding goals. From an amalgamation from a from a uh, megazord of, of DC United strikers. Yeah, and so let's uh, touch real quickly, um, David Osted. Let's let's be quick because we got to get to the big signing. I think uh, and David Osted, uh, good replacement for Hamid. Probably pretty pretty good replacement for Hamid. Hopefully, um, that's about all I got. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I think that I, we haven't seen the salary yet that he got. I know that he was mad. Based on the, the the arcane MLS roster rules that allowed his team to not offer him a raise, uh, but still sort of control his his uh, his player movement, uh, which as an, as everyone knows in MLS, like free free labor movement inside inside MLS, despite the free agency mechanism, is, uh, is somewhat uh, leaves something to be desired. So we got him probably on a bit of a, a bargain. I think he's here on a two year deal. I think he's a good compliment to Steve Clark. Neither one of them. I think at this point in Austin's career, I think neither one of them are, are, are going to be game winners for you. They're not going to make the ridiculous saves. Although Austin's got a, he's got a history and he's got a, he's got a, you know, a YouTube reel a mile long that shows he makes some pretty great saves. But no one's Bill Hamid. We should, we should absolutely expect a drop off from Bill Hamid. It would be silly not to. The question is, uh, can we build a strong enough defense through the middle and maybe with new reinforcements so that we don't have to rely on him to steal points all the time? Uh, enjoy the four three three two five four type games. I think might be what we see this year. Um, other additions, um, I'll touch real briefly on them. Um, Ornell Fisher, depth option in Seattle, and uh, Chris Odiastum, who of course was here last year. Um, it seems to me though that they they seem to like Odiastum because they brought in a lot. They brought in Shannon Williams and I think a U twenty, a USU twenty, and Odiastum beat both them out. So maybe that's a sign that he has developed a little bit um, in his second year. So, um, Yeah, talk or, about he got a year deal with two option two option years for, for <laughs> that the team will hold. So this guy this guy cannot buy a bucket as far as uh, he, <laughs> he got drafted, he played a season. They're like, you did a great job. Now we're not bringing you back and you can't go anywhere and you got to earn your spot. So good good for him. He did it. He, he came in a position where he had to he had to win his spot and, and you know make his money for the year. I think that it's likely that this is another guy that likely to see some Richmond time though he is the second guy behind, he's right behind uh, Nick DeLeon should Nick get injured or anything else happen, which still freaks me out uh, yeah. that that's the situation we've got going on, but good for him. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Um, I don't. I think we'll see him on the bench. I think we'll see him on the bench. There, there, there's, there's, there's no question to me. Um, next, let's go to the, big, the biggest move of the offseason, and in my opinion, the, the saving grace, I guess you could say, of this offseason, uh, DC United acquiring uh, Yamil Assad, uh, by the way, kudos to the to the DC United Twitter universe uh, Twitter account, I should say, uh, for their little tongue in cheek uh, post before signing him. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but Yamil Assad joining uh, US, the DC, sending a bunch of Garber Bucks to Atlanta, and so uh, many Garber Bucks, so, so many, Garber, many Garber Bucks. 
So many Garber bucks. But, you know, I, I think this was a case where you get you have any player in MLS who gets seven goals and 13 assists and you have an opportunity to get him. You know, did DC necessarily need uh, need the position on the wings? Probably not. But he's such a good talent that I don't think you ignore that. And he's a young talent for that matter, too. I mean, he's a guy, theoretically, if he continues what he did in Atlanta, um, now different challenges here, but if he continues what he did in Atlanta, I mean, you're looking at a guy you can have for three, four years who can who is going to get just keep getting better. And that's good. That That's the thing I love about the D.C. now. It's This team has, has gotten so much younger. As much as I love Dwayne DiRosario and Fabian Espindola when he was here, this is a team that if they're going in the league, at least they're going young. And that I do like. I think there's two big things to think about in this acquisition. The first one is so the amount of back. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> the, I think I think the one to look at is the amount of money that's being paid to Atlanta makes it so that if they end up not signing Assad, uh, signing Assad long term, buying his buying his actual contract, they've spent a lot of money on a two-year rental of a player that they – and they already have it agreed upon. So he'd have to perform so badly that they didn't want to pay – I think it's $750,000 an option to buy. Yeah. So it would have to be something really crazy, I would imagine, for him to, to, to play so badly that we're willing to give up all the Garber bucks but still not pay 750000 to get him out. So that's one. The second one is, is – and you sort of touched on this – is that if you could think of a place that we were strong, it's the place he plays. It's, it's on the wings. Um, does that mean that you – shuffle chairs around to fit every single player in, as some people sort of tried to do when the move got announced? Does it mean that Assad plays in the middle? Uh, does it mean that you have a really good player off the bench? I don't think it, it will be a, stra- a challenge for Ben Olsen to play him off the bench. It will also be a challenge to play the, the person who's provided two assists from the left wing, my boy Zoltan, to put him on the bench, I think also he's got he's got a really great ability to deliver the ball, which is what exactly what we we need without with two forwards that don't really create their own chances. So the question is, you know, how, what is the what does the lineup look like? That's going to be Ben's, you know, again great problem for him to have. He's starting to figure out how to manage all these new toys that he's that he's not had. Sort of everyone said Benny balls because of you know he's playing with the parts that he has. Well now he's got a midfield of creators. He's got a midfield of talented players. Uh, what's he, how is he going to orient that to, to mean goals on the road and to mean wins? We'll see. So, so, and you brought up the road point, which is this is why I, I, as much as I respect a guy like Bobby Warshaw and how great of a player he is, there is absolutely negative chance that Yamil Assad plays anywhere other than on the left wing as a striker. And if that means that either Luciano Acosta has to sit or even Paul Ariola, even though I don't think that's going to happen – or Zoltan Stieber has to sit. Then honestly, I'm fine with that. I I and with the and also with the amount of road games that this team has to play, having having so having that option where you have Yamil Assad maybe plays one game and then you maybe swap it with Zoltan Stieber and then you kind of figure out okay, summer rolls around, you kind of figure out what you have to do, but this team has so many games on the road. And midfield is probably where, if you're going to play that many games on the road, midfield's probably where you want to have depth. Because yep. those, those are going to be the positions that are going to require the most physical up-and-down-the-field type work. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's great they got Yumil Assad. I think he's going to be a good player. Does he get seven goals and 13 assists this year? Maybe not. Um, and the question, and this is something that's brought up that I think is actually legitimate. When he has the ball now, though, when he had the ball, he was kind of a uh, uh, a four person, the fourth person in a three man band in Atlanta. Um, he was kind of the guy off to the side. So when he got the ball, he just looked for um, for you know uh, Joseph Martinez or um, uh, Al Marone or someone like that. Now, when he has the ball and he stood up, and this is something I've seen brought up. Do you think could that maybe get in his head that he says, "No, I'm the I'm the this is my team. Like I'm the guy now." Now I have to do everything. I think that Ariola found himself in a similar position when he came to this team, and similar to uh, Luciano Casa. We're bringing in guys that were not necessarily the the maestro of their teams, and bringing them here and saying, "You've got the keys now. You got it. You've you've got to drive this offense and make differences." So I think that the thing to watch will be Assad was a compliment, not necessarily a complimentary piece, but like you said, he was part of a it was part of a 
a broader, very talented uh, group. And we've got talent, too. I just don't think it's necessarily – I don't think you could compare it maybe to the attacking prowess We're of Atlanta. We're not paying $15 million for an 18-year-old. Let's just right. say that much. Exactly. <laughs> so the question is, what kind of player is he in a less dynamic, less high-powered offense? Is he able to – I think I think matching his uh, production from last year is is almost impossible. I think if he can even just have that, uh, so come up with sort of you know four goals, seven assists, that'd be great. I think that's all we can ask for. Even if we're paying a lot of money to Atlanta, I still think it's the way to go. I think that's I think we can't be upset with that output. And you have to think those seven assists are going to go to guys like uh, like Maddox or Mullins up top. So I mean, if if any of these players get more than five assists in our midfield, then we're we're having a fantastic season. Let me just say, yep. like, like I mean, that's just certainly better than last year. Um, so all right, so I think we've gone over. Yeah, we pretty much covered everybody. Um, I want to get your perspective. If you had to give an overall grade to DC United's offseason this year, what would you give them? B plus. I think B plus. Uh, I think that they were two players from an A plus, uh, based, based on what we know about their spending power, based on what we know about the fact that they know going into a, uh, a new stadium, they've got to sort of try to capture, get some mind share in the DC area. They made smart acquisitions. They made one acquisition that should have at least in, in MLS circles a bit of, uh, a bit of name recognition. They did not bring in a big name forward. I think that really, really would have moved the needle. I think last year there were, there were, you know, rumors about Wayne Rooney. That's the kind of player that's going to move that, the, the casual and, and sort of get them to come out. But I think that attendance may be not as big of a problem in the first year as it will be a subsequent year. So maybe you don't need to do that. I would have liked to see a starting right back or a starting left back come in, not someone to, uh, back up our existing wingbacks. Taylor Kemp is, is a good player. He's been hurt last year. He hasn't got into a game yet. Our season starts in two weeks. That should be worrying to people. Uh, I think that those those positions were positions of weakness, and we didn't crush those positions. We, we sort of we we backfilled and provided some depth, but we didn't you know we didn't get home runs in those areas. What about you? What's your grade? Uh, my grades a I'm kind of similar to you, but I, I am a, I am a solid B. Um, I think they had. They had three positions that I think they absolutely needed to fill, um, and that was goalkeeper, which I think they I think they did okay getting I, I think they did okay getting David Ousted. Um So I mean I'm willing to to, to pass them on that. Um, I think defensively uh, they needed to do a lot, um, and I think they again I think they did okay. Um, and the and the the forward situation is very disappointing. Um, I went into the season thinking we need we need Enola Kamara. We need somebody who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. Because um, because I, I, I went I went in thinking oh we have the midfield figured out. We got Zoltan. We got Ariola. We got you know Acosta. We got Canals. Like that's your starting midfield, and that's a good midfield. That's a midfield that can start on a lot of playoff teams and a very young midfield, and I like that. Um, but the fact that they did so, I guess, so well, I guess, overcompensating on the on the midfield part and, and getting a guy like Asad would not be a guy I would think DC would have been able to get. For that matter, I have to give them a B. But obviously, like you said, I can't give them an A because I think striker was a big need, and I think they the fact that it that wasn't solved is 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 disappointing. And there's no other way I can slice it. There's not a big time forward I can get excited about. Um, but I, again, I think they did solid and. You know, we'll, we'll we'll know whether our grades are are accurate or if they're completely wrong. Because who knows? They might be first in the Eastern Conference, or we might be last, and we might be talking about 2019 come come July 18th. Please let's, let's not right. do that. Let's not do I, that. One the one digression before we move on. I, th- I I think I'm curious how much of the Assad acquisition was sort of something that fell in their lap. I think as they sort of I watched, think, yeah, probably a lot, right? It was, yeah, yeah. it it totally. I, I don't think they were thinking. No, what were there talks about them wanting to sign Justin Miram, or was that just an MLS transfers rumor? I think that was a uh, Twitter, a Twitter, uh, you know, Twitter not rumor. falsehood, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I, but I, I do think yeah, it's something that fell in their laps, absolutely. Which makes sense why instead of a, addressing necessarily a position of need, this was sort of like if you're uh, in the draft, not necessarily the MLS draft, which is a weird bird on, upon itself, but maybe a more established draft where something falls in your lap. And you have to decide, take the best player available here. What's the best option I have? And then I'll sort it out later, which is, I think, sort of what happened. They figured out how to, what mechanism they had to do to make it happen, and then they'll figure out later down the line what, how it all shake out. 
Yeah, yeah, and it, again, I think they have some time. No, nobody's expecting this team to fly out of the gate to start the year. We, I, we, all I want is I want in these twelve games, I want to be at a point per game. That's 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 the bar, honestly, because we have all those home games. So no one's expecting this team to fly out of the gate. I think it's okay that they're trying to maybe to figure some stuff out. Um, obviously, they can't have a season where it's it's they've lost all their games and they're sitting bottom of the table because I don't care how many home games you have in a row, nothing's going to fix that. And then you got to have you got to be perfect in those games. Um, I've got good news for you, uh, based on uh, based on science. Uh, the two seasons that DC United have that were the worst historical seasons uh, of of both M- some, and one of them in MLS history and and the other are just in team history uh, are seasons where I was a full season ticket holder. This year I gave up my seats uh, at Audi Field, so we're just looking probably at playoffs based on my history with <laughs> DC United and tickets. Uh, we've got a good chance. Oh, you give up? You don't not going to have season tickets this year? Yeah. I'm not. I, I could not sell my wife on uh, two games a week for like six weeks in a row in, in uh, the middle okay. of middle of DC summer. They told me there's a three to five year waiting list. I uh, I don't think that's true. That might be like a Washington Redskins uh, ticket <laughs> ten year ticket list that they always talk about. But I think I should be alright getting tickets next year. I think. Well, we'll 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 get into that in our next segment. I think uh, we'll yeah. talk a little bit about that. Um, so overall, I think is there anything else you want to cover? Or is that uh, are we good? All right, We're good. I think. So stick around. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go on the more fan side of this podcast, which is something I think we want to do. So you're, you're gonna want to stick around. This is the RFK Refugees Podcast. Welcome back to the RFK Refugees Podcast. Uh, I'm Ted, of course, joined alongside uh, John Hoffman, and uh, we're going to. So this is what this is what we want to do with this podcast. We don't just want to talk about DC games results. Obviously, we'll talk about that stuff. We all have opinions. Uh, we don't want this to be an analytical podcast. There's already a great analytical podcast out there um, uh, via the guys at Black and Red United, uh, but we do want to be a fan podcast. Um, and uh, so we got the. There's a, a developing issue, and it's been. Uh, it's been probably the thing that's been on the minds of most DC United fans, at least those that are, excuse me, uh, are season ticket holders, are people that go to games, people um, who've been fans for a while, and that's been uh, that's been uh, sort of the the supporter culture in MLS and DC, and, and what the best direction is, because uh, we all knew this was going to happen when when DC RFK was kind of this weird anomaly where it's a big cavernous NFL stadium. There's plenty of seats. There's plenty of room, and not everybody really wants to go to that stadium. And DC doesn't really make too much; it really loses money on it. So really, they're not. They have no interest. They want to just get people to, to show up to the game. Um, and so now we've moved to Audi Field, and we all knew things were going to change. Uh, and this this event that happened, you probably know what it is. If you if you're hey, listening to this podcast, you definitely know what it is. I don't think there's anybody who's listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. who's who's like who's like I. What are they talking about? What are they? Uh, but let's let's get right into it. So um, I believe this was uh, it's about it's been about a week now. Um, five days you, ago. This has only been five oh, days. For Jesus. those of you who know, and I would say the Venn diagram of people who listen to this podcast and know about this is a circle. But, <laughs> it's only been five days since this whole thing sort of kicked off in public. So get it, get back it, to it. It feels it feels a lot longer than that. It feels way longer than that. But uh, basically, um, DC United put out a press release, basically saying they were partnering up with the Screaming Eagles, and it it starts very non-assuming. Um, it talks about their partnership with DC Scores. It talks about how they are starting a supporter development academy, um, and I think this is where the part gets kind of worded because everybody kind of thought like, oh, this is going to be their like trying to bring in, you know, new adult fans. But that's not at all what this is about. This is about bringing in, partnering with uh, DC Scores, which is a, I think it's a charity, and bringing in kids. It's really more about bringing in kids from around DC to come in. Um, So in that sense, that's, I think no one really has a problem with that. There's no fans really a problem. Now the problem is starts when about halfway through, or about the last little portion uh, DC DC United states that the Screaming Eagles are the basically the go between the front office and the supporters. 
I think that's that. that I'm, I think I'm understanding that correctly. They're going to be in charge of everything that goes on in the stadium as far as the supporter section goes. Uh, the other big sticking point is they are now also going to be in charge of uh, single game tickets. And the Twitter eruption that happened is uh, I, I don't I don't know I have a word for it. It it kind of it kind of blew up and it's. I don't know how long you've been a fan, John, but this has been, I think this has been stewing for a long time. And I think this was kind of the, the ignition point, um, with a, with a lot of fans. Um, and I think, so I, I want to get, I'm going to start out with your perspective on this. Cause I, I have, I have opinions and they might honestly, I, I, I am predicting maybe when I give my opinions, some people are just going to shut this podcast off, but I, but I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear your opinion first. You, you, uh, yeah, well- you take, I'll go first then. Just just make sure that we get them for a little bit, like in a couple another couple minutes before they shut it off. So, I've been a fan since 2007, which is compared to everyone else that 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 follows the team long term or writes about the team. A lot of them have been there a lot longer. So I'll make apologies for that to begin with. But uh, I think infighting within the supporters groups since even since then has been pervasive. I think leadership and rank and file have always had issues with, with one another. I think that the groups have had issues with one another for, you know, understandable reasons, such as sort of they identified and uh, they, they viewed their role somewhat differently. The bar maybe says everyone has to stand, everyone has to sing, everyone has to give it 100% all the time. Screaming Eagles were much more sort of accepting that that the supporters come in different sizes and different 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 ways that they do. They have the airy to sort of for seated fans. They just understand that their the intensity is not the same across the board, and you can still sort of be part of the group. District ultras, I feel like, are the the hardest of the hardcore in that they were a splinter group that sort of that were sort of moved around within the stadium, found their own niche on the left hand side. Sort of, uh, I would say they had the most uh, aggressively. Uh, a creative and aggressive uh, tifo of all the of the groups. <laughs> they were you could count needed to get needed for something that they would be the ones to do it uh, without with the way that the office staff. I would say so. This is this is my perspective. I have always sat across on the quiet side. I like to make sure that I see the entire game. I get very mad if someone's standing in front of me or waving a flag in front of me. I get very mad if someone yells at me uh, to sing when I've stopped singing for five seconds. So it's it's not for everyone. The supporter culture is not for. I am as as into this team as you know as not every not. I'm sure there are much more harder core people than me, but I'm pretty damn into this team. Uh, and I like to watch every single second of the game. And if I can't see something, it makes me mad. So it was never a fit for me. I think on that side. Uh, all that said, I loved watching what they did. I think they're they are the soundtrack of the game. Without them, the game felt like or when that when sort of when that when they started to thin out, and that happened a little bit last year, um, where they they it would not be the days of old. It would not even be half of the days old. It would sound and feel like a, a midweek Concacaf Champions League game sometimes, and that just sucks the fun out of it for a lot of people. I mean, the, the, also the team sucked really bad, so it was a double whammy of no atmosphere. Bad soccer, uh, sort of just like dead end, a dead end year. So that was just a bad mixture. But like you said, this has been brewing for a while. Um, I think, but specifically on this issue, I think that the Screaming Eagles made, and I don't know, there's been a lot of talk about how this is not necessarily the will of the people. This is not the rank and file Screaming Eagles the way they would have it done. I'm not here. I'm not going to ascribe any negative intentions to anyone. I think that's really unproductive, and I think I'm seeing a lot of it on Twitter with the whole brickbats thing, which was funny for like five minutes, but then it kept going and it kept going, and people really, really getting into it. I feel like that's not productive. I think the end, the end here is going to be that everyone has to figure out a way to work together. That's the that's the end story. The team does not have enough fans. It does not is not popular enough in the area to just have people go away. The the, the team can't afford it. The Screaming Eagles can't afford it. The other groups, it's too much a part of their life. Even if they're mad now, I think it's too much of a it's too much of a loss for everyone to have them walk away. So, and with that said, I want to say that the Screaming Eagles made a mistake here, from our understanding. Again, we're on the outside, so we don't we're not privy to the private conversations. And I think there's in the, in the coming days and weeks, I think there's going to be a lot more conversation about what that looked like, what the insider talks were. It seems like the way to go would have been, and this Bobby uh, Bobby Bartlett 
uh, a friend of mine and uh, formerly of uh, a leadership role, I believe in Barbarava, came up with an idea that I don't know if it was talked about. I don't know if it was considered. But the way forward here is an independent supporters association, similar to what they have at Section 8, with a board elected from members of all supporters groups and unaffiliated fans and bylaws that give everyone a seat at the table. They talked about a supporters union, I believe, earlier this summer. They they had people come there. It doesn't seem to have been this. It seems to have been something else. It seems to have been a a, a general meeting with no sort of bylaws, no paperwork, just sort of we want to hear from you and we're going to tell you sort of what we're going to do and then bounce it off of you. What they need to do is everyone needs to come to the table now, right now. Soon they've got a little bit of time because, you know, we've got – but as tempers continue to boil and people – are going to get more negative and more negative as time goes on. They need to get everybody in a room and say, this is not going to be the end for your organization's culture. I don't, the Screaming Eagles don't want to do that. DC United doesn't necessarily want to do that. All DC United wants to do, from my understanding, is have a simple go-between between the supporters, the supporters groups, ticket sales, and the team. They don't want to have the staff necessary and the time necessary to, to cater to multiple groups that have different desires and different needs and different wants. So this group, this this supporters association would do the work of figuring out a way to call those things together, the things that they need from the team, the way that they need to structure tickets and the sections in order to make it work. They need to have that together and then go to the team with it. I don't know. I'm sure that Screaming Eagles have a desire to figure a way out that they're not turning off. Cause that it's like I've just said, we need all the fans that we have to be there and, and, uh, and, and motivated and happy as this new stadium comes over. That was yeah. a long. That was a long lead-in. So let's hear, let's hear your take. So my take. So I, I've had some. I've had some. Some difficulty, I guess, developing a take. Not necessarily since I'm saying like I'm, I'm wishy-washy on this. So th- let me just start. I've. I have personally. I have been a fan since I was a kid. I've been since I was like eight or nine years old. I think I went to a game. I was trying to remember like my first game at RFK Stadium, and I think it was '98 when I went uh, to see them play the Dallas Burn. Um, so I've been a fan for a long time. I've, I love this team. This is this was my first team that I got really that I've been I've been really into. Um, I've also been a part of the supporters culture. I lived up in Northern Virginia for a little bit. I uh, went to games with the Barra. Um, I moved down to Richmond. Started going to games with them with the people in, in Richmond. Um, so so I, I've been I, I've I've done this for a while, and I've I've been a part of the Barra Brava, and I've been a part of the District Ultras. Um, so and, and I, I love you know un, you know. I could, I feel, I find I can watch the game and cheer at the same time. Maybe I mean, yeah, does my view get obstructed or distracted? Sure, but uh, I just love being a part of the supporters group, and I love, I love the atmosphere and, and what it brings. I'm gonna miss anything. I'm gonna miss Lot Eight so much because that was just, that was just such a great experience. Uh, but times change, and things, and things have to change if this team was gonna stay in DC. Um, I, let me say, and I agree with you on one point. I think the the DC United front office and the Screaming Eagles made a huge mistake in announcing it the way they did. And even if this is the direction they were going to go, um, from what we've gathered from from what I've gathered from leadership in both the Ultras and the Barra Brava, they were completely blindsided by this. That's not smart. If you're these, and maybe it's the person doesn't have. Maybe it's a new person who who was in charge of all this. Maybe he didn't understand just how how I guess tribal everything is amongst the groups between the Barra, between the Ultras, between the Screaming Eagles. Um, but there seems to be a giant miscalculation. Um, as far as the Eagles go, I, they do I think deserve some of the blame because they should have been. Uh, I think they should have at least been like, okay, are, well, are you you know you're going to do this? We love, we want it. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but have you talked to the actual owners? Have you talked to the other memberships? Maybe they didn't know it was going to come out in that press release. I, I don't think they did. I don't think they knew it was going to come out in that press release. Maybe they thought it was just going to be the DC Scores partnership, and maybe DC United blindsided them. Um, again, everybody gets angry. Everybody's angry at the Screaming Eagles. I I think a little bit more blame might be need to be with the front office than than necessarily the Eagles, uh, because here's the thing: as much as the Eagles. The Eagles are run as an organization. These people are not running this full time. They've got jobs. They've got lives. They've got families. So everybody. So the the one thing I'm getting angry at is it, it took them a while. Do I think they might have been, maybe needed to make it a little quicker? Do I think they could have maybe come out when they like after the first day and said, "Look, we're we're working on organizing a meet, a Q and A. We're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to make this to make this work." Uh, sure. 
But every what what I'm seeing now is now that the president has come out and he has said, um, he has said, oh, you know, we're, we're now we're going to do a Q and A. I'm still seeing the same people do the brickbait thing, do the the oh, this is terrible, awful, uh, you know, oh, this is a, you should have done this weeks ago. And I'm like, okay, yes, we we all know that, but at least they are coming out now. They're coming out now. They're saying we want to work. They deserve an opportunity to be allowed to do that. Absolutely. We've got, yeah, we've gotten it off of our chest. It, they, it was wrong. I think they probably know that. Um, but now we have to say, you know what? It, it's time to uh, we, it's time to see what they have to say. If whatever they come up with, maybe maybe they did have ill intentions. Then yes, absolutely. Let's let's keep the pressure on. But uh, to me, the pressure y'all put worked. Now let's let them be the ones to respond. And I think what, what's happening is everybody's just going off about how they should have done it sooner. And I got into I got into an argument with somebody over this. Uh, on Twitter, you did you get in an argument on Twitter not, about? No, I don't yeah. do that. But no, I mean it's just it's just it's getting to the point. And, and let me say this: I think the response from the leadership, um, and I'm not going to say, but but of some of the other groups, has been actually very poor. Um, there was, I believe, a Facebook post that came out that said, "Oh, we're we're not doing anything with the Eagles anymore. We're done with the Eagles." And I'm like, "Well, that's kind of. I mean, this isn't leadership. I mean, you find to put out a statement, say, you know, we didn't know about this." Uh, we're currently working to see what's going on. We're currently trying to get more information. Instead, it was just like a let's just let's take a dump on the Eagles because we feel like we got screwed and let's rile everybody up. Um, and that's that's not what you, if you're going to be a leader leader in an organization, that's not how you act. And that and that's my personal opinion. Um, and so that to me was disappointing. So, yeah, I think I was going to say that 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 part you're absolutely right. That's the high school drama part. That's the part of that, you know, when you're mad and angry and you, and you want to say what's on your chest, that's fine. But when you're the leader of, of a group of people that spend all that time and all that passion and effort, you have to be the adult, too, in the room. You have to realize that. And like you said, they've, you, you, they yelled, they screamed, and they got what they wanted. They, they wanted it to be uh, clarified. They wanted an opportunity to speak to leadership in, in the Screaming Eagles. They've gotten that. They're still – I've uh, talked to a couple people and that are not, uh, you know – president role, but they're in leadership roles of Screaming Eagles, said that we are working on this. We have spoken to the other groups. We have been in touch with the team. Balls are moving. You've got to give us some time to to do to work. And that's the worst part, I think. Oh, there's a lot of bad parts. But the part where people are letting this thing, this the thing that's gone on the last five days, all of the resentment that's built up over years and years, this is this is sort of to them the last straw and they're just letting you know years of resentment sort of roll into this thing not letting it be what it is but letting it be a placeholder for all of the stuff that they've had going on in the past and that's got to stop that's got they've got they've got to figure a way to get past that yeah and 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 one other thing i think i think needs to be said is and you talked about the meeting in the beginning i would love they, they did there was a meeting that was apparently organized where they were trying to work out a way for these groups to work together. Um, I would I would like to know, I mean, personally, before I can say anything about how that, I mean, we don't know how that meeting went. We don't know what was said in that meeting. We still don't know quite what was discussed. Um, I've, heard, I've heard rumors it was over, you know, referee taunting. I've heard rumors, you know, I do think, I'm sure it had something to do with the fact that it, between the Barra and the, between the Barra and the Ultras being more in tune lock and step with the FO. There seems to be a lot of that, that the Barra and the Ultras are, you know, independent totally. We don't cave to the FO, to the front office. We don't, you know, do that. We support the team. And I say, okay, I mean, if you want to go that route, by all means do it. But in the same sense, don't get upset if the, if necessarily if the front office comes to you and says, well, you guys need to work with us. Cause I mean, this, at the end of the day, this is, this is our stadium. And, you know, we're allowing y'all to be here and y'all can be independent, but I mean, there's certain things we would like to see done as well. And we can talk, we can talk about them if you don't agree with them, but if you guys want to go this, you know, hardcore, no, you know, no compromise route, then, you know, we're going to go to this group that's willing to do that. Now, I know some people are going to get upset and they're going to say, oh, you know, that I'm, that I'm being, uh, you know, lock and step with the FO, I'm, I'm buying into the FO, I'm buying into the Eagles. No, I'm just saying that I think there's a lot that we don't know about what's been going on in the leadership, and I think that we, I do think at some point we need we need some answers on that. Well said. I think that I think that's what we're going to see. I, I would give it I would give it a week. 
there's there's too much heat. The fact that the president's already responded, the fact that other people are, I think that by the time we record this podcast next, I feel like we should probably have a lot more answers. And I will bet you that the worst case scenario that many people have put in their heads about what this was intended to be and what it will be, uh, it will not be that. I hope that's the case. I could be wrong. It could be exactly as bad as the bar are assuming and all of the negative intent they're ascribing could be real. Um, I hope it isn't. I don't think it is, but we'll, we'll know soon enough, and then we can really sort of judge after all that information is out, and that's all that everybody wants. I think all the people like me who ne- – I, I used to play pickup with Screaming Eagles, but I w- I've never belonged formally, and I've been, I've been friends with the people. It would For people who are outside of the, the groups but care a lot about how this is all is playing out, that's what everybody wants. We want information. We want transparency, and that's what I think what we're going to get. And, and I think the, the biggest thing that has me hope is that I think there are there are level-headed people on all sides. There's level-headed people in the Ultras. There's level-headed people in the Barra Brava. And there's level-headed people in the Screamed Eagles who are friends with each other in each other's groups. We're, we we all have friends. I have friends in the Eagles. I have friends in the Barra. I have friends in the Ultras. We all have friends who we who we interact with on, uh, and who we go when we go to games and we interact with. So that has at least for me the hope that a solution can be found. Um but again, it, it's it's a lot. It's a wait and see. There is time, but um, patience is definitely running thin. And yeah. it's almost as if the loud voices on Twitter are not necessarily indicative of the totality of the voices of the groups. It's almost like politics or real life or anything like that. It seems like that's <laughs> the dynamic that's going on. So, so, so you're telling me Eric Winald is not going to be the next U.S. soccer president? Listen, I, that's why that's why Colorado assigned that player that hasn't played for Ireland in and uh, since he was under twenties, so they get that friendly. He he's unraveled the whole thing. Open okay. your eyes, sheeple. All right, <laughs> all right. Do, do we want to get into anything else? Um, I think we have run this thing as far as it, I think we are at the end of the track. I think we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, I, I think I, John, John's wife just walked in, so I think she's like. She's probably. I wouldn't be surprised if she has like a glass of wine sitting there. Like, all right, when are you wrapping this up? So I think I think we'll call it a first show. Um, you've been listening to RFK Refugees podcast, uh, and we'll we'll do it next week, right? I think we'll do it next week. That's the plan. We might we might get so much hate mail and and because of what we just said in the last segment, we might not. There might not. This might be the only show. So enjoy it. Uh, thank you again, and we'll catch you guys later. You've been listening to the RFK Refugees Podcast. If you have a comment, question, or reaction, email us at rfkrefugees at gmail.com. That's rfkrefugees at gmail.com.